There is no doubt that the New Testament teaches that Jesus was poor and that he came from a family with limited means. At the time of his birth, Jesus was born in a cave and laid in an animal feed trough. When Jesus was presented in the temple, his parents sacrificed two turtle doves, which according to the book of Leviticus, Leviticus 12, 2 to 8, was the sacrifice offered by poor people. When a scribe came to Jesus and declared his intentions to follow him, Jesus said to that man, Foxes have dens to live in, and birds have nests. But I, the Son of Man, have no home of my own, not even a place to lay my head. The Bible says Jesus was so poor, he couldn't afford his own tomb for his burial. Jesus makes us rethink what true wealth is and what our obligation is to the poor. The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Matthew 25 verse 40. Good morning, everyone. So good to have you here today. I thought for sure I was going to be all alone here with my family, but you all made it to church, and uh, there's a few people here that I was so thrilled to see. I'm not going to mention your name because I don't want to embarrass you, so you'll never come back, but I'm glad you're here. And there's a few people that I am going to mention by name because I know they won't be embarrassed, and I want to say how thrilled I am to see Alec and Joe in the back there. Welcome home. And you got here just in time for a blizzard. <laughs> so thank you, thank you. I hope you didn't bring it with you. <laughs> and also wonderful to have Mr. Lord with us this morning. God bless you, Brother Lord. So glad to have you here today. And so we're finishing up our little series here called The Wenceslas' Legacy. Can you, do you want to try that this morning? Or Wenceslas's Legacy, yeah, and of course we know that his legacy is all about caring for the poor, blessing the poor and the needy, and, uh, and so this morning what I want us to do is I want us to look at uh, Jesus Christ, because really this morning is all about Jesus Christ, would you say amen to that? I'm going to tell you, I didn't always understand what Christmas was about. Uh, my, my memories of my childhood Christmas go like this. On the 24th, oftentimes on the 24th, we would be putting up our Christmas tree. Anybody else like that? Yeah? No? Okay, it was just us then. Uh, trees are cheap on the 24th. <laughs> uh, that wasn't all the time, it was sometimes. But um, on the 24th, we would get uh, my dad's gray work socks and hang them. My dad's a plumber. Just think of those socks filled with uh, unwrapped candy. <laughs> um, in the stocking would be an orange, but in the toe, how many, how many of me would do that, get that? The orange in the toe of the sock, of the gray plumber, plumber's work sock. Robin, that's what you'll do someday with your kids. And uh, there would be that ribbon candy, that hard, hard cabinet. Anybody know what I'm talking about? That hard Christmas candy that every, every kid hates? But mom puts it in there anyway, and uh, mom's here this morning, so mom, you're finding out stuff you never knew before. Uh, peanuts, who ever thought of putting peanuts or nuts in stockings? I don't know. 
That's like just one step up from coal. <laughs> Uh, but there was some really good stuff in there, too. There's some toys to play with. Um, see, what would happen is that my parents would be up wrapping presents and stuffing the stockings late at night. And, um, and so what would be happening is that they'd be, about the time that they were going to bed, my eldest brother, Carrie, would be waking up. And, and we'd sort of pass my parents on the way down. They'd be going up the stairs to bed. We'd be coming down to open the presents. It was just about like that. Um, it would feel like we'd just gone to sleep, and my brother would jump on the bed, wake us up, and we'd all go downstairs and get our stocking, and the Christmas tree lights on, just, just kind of like this, and, uh, and in the stocking would be a slinky or a, uh, some nice little toys to play with, stuff to keep us occupied until mom and dad actually had some rest so that they could wake up, and so uh, also in that stocking would be some Pop-Tarts, that would be breakfast. Imagine having Pop-Tarts for breakfast. Pure sugar. It was wonderful. <laughs> and uh, we would just wait patiently for mom and dad to wake up. We'd watch the cartoons, uh, which you can, I mean, they still show them on TV, but when we watched them, they were in black and white. And magically, they became colored. And uh, we'd start watching them, I, I don't know, six o'clock or seven o'clock in the morning, waiting and waiting, waiting for mom and dad to get up. And then after we'd done uh, eating our, or opening our gifts, eating our Pop-Tarts, we would go and visit our grandparents. So it would be a trip out to Lockport or to St. Andrews. And uh, we'd have some kind of a Ukrainian feast there. Holupchi, Pereje. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Pereje. And maybe some Kubasa. And there'd be a turkey in there for sure because there's no Ukrainian feast is complete without at least three or four kinds of meat. And uh, all kinds of other food. And then, you know, we'd go to my grandparents and sometimes have a, uh, have a dinner there as well. And that would be a typical English feast, which is not quite as exciting as a Ukrainian feast. Would anybody say amen to that? And that would be vegetables, mashed potatoes, turkey and gravy, uh, salads, and uh, yeah, but, but fantastic. And those were the days when you could say Merry Christmas to people and nobody took offense. Did anybody notice how things have changed? drastically, and I found this really funny uh, strip. I thought it was funny. If you don't laugh, I'm going to be hurt, so like, try to get your best fake laugh ready. Here's a guy being arrested because he wished someone a Merry Christmas instead of saying Happy Holidays. <laughs> it's maybe a little too witty for you. Uh, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, those were the days when you could actually say Merry Christmas to people. But um, it wasn't until I was quite a bit older that I began to really understand how epic and uh, world-changing, how historical is the birth of Jesus Christ. Christmas meant a massive change in the course of history. In fact, Christmas was the event that had been waited for, really, since the time that Adam and Eve first fell. And the day that they fell and the day that they disobeyed God, we look forward to that day when Jesus Christ will be born. Now, I want you to know that Christmas is the celebration, the biggest celebration in the universe. It's the celebration of the birth of the dragon slayer. Do you like that, Barry? The birth of the dragon slayer. 
And I want you to know that Jesus is the original dragon slayer. And in case you don't know who that dragon is, that dragon is that ancient serpent, Satan himself. That is what Christmas is all about. The birth of the dragon slayer, the one who would slay Satan once and for all. You may have seen a few years ago this very, uh, very iconic image of Mary, Mary on the right, and on the left is uh, Eve. And you'll see that Eve has got a snake wrapped around her leg, but you'll see that Mary is crushing the head of that snake. Do you see that? Isn't that a cool picture? I was very moved when I saw that because uh, what we see here is the hope that Mary offers to Eve. You see Mary holding Eve's face? Mary is offering to Eve hope because it was Eve that experienced the shame and the consequences of her own sinful choice in the garden. You know that she disobeyed God. But there is Mary reaching through the centuries, back to the day when Eve, in her shame, experienced the consequences of sinning, of disobeying God. And you know what that sin was? She took the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This picture, my friends, it beautifully captures the epic Christmas story. So I want to talk about that this morning. I want to talk about the birth of the dragon slayer. And I know this is kind of a strange Christmas message because you thought it would be just, you know, cozy, warm, and cuddly. And I'm talking about slain dragons. I mean, this is what Christmas is really all about. So I want to share with you an interesting verse from 1 Timothy that's caused Christians to cringe. And some have even thought that Paul hated women. Uh, some, some of you may remember a number of weeks ago, we had a guy sitting at the back and uh, interrupt me. He dared to heckle me. So I got my boots on this morning, so no heckling. <laughs> and uh, he said, he yelled out of the back, the Apostle Paul hated women. And I said, no, he didn't. Because that's what you do with a heckler. You just, no, he didn't. Yes, he did. No, he didn't. Yes, he did. So I said, no, he didn't. And, um, and here's why some people think that maybe the Apostle Paul hated women. And we see in verse uh, 14, 1 Timothy 1, 14, and it was not Adam who was deceived by Satan. The woman was deceived, and sin was the result. So we see that, and we, everybody knows the story of Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve in the garden, and uh, it's Eve that is tempted by Satan himself. And, of course, Adam just goes along with it. And then we read in the next verse, but women will be saved through childbearing, assuming that they continue to live in faith, love, holiness, and modesty. Well, that's kind of a strange verse, and a lot of people don't really understand it. Well, I want to explain this to you today, because to me, it's one of the thrilling passages of Scripture that tell us about the Christmas story. So the reason that we have a problem with this, with this verse is because we just don't understand it. Because when you look at that, it, 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 you would maybe draw a conclusion that the only way that a person, a woman, not a person, a woman could be saved as if she has babies. Okay, so that obviously can't be true, right? Because uh, like at least 50% of the population are men, and uh, last time I checked, men can't have babies. Um, at least that's what we were taught in high school. I don't know if there's something I missed, but men can't have babies, and there's a lot of women that don't have babies. 
So obviously there's something more to this story. So let me give you a bit of a background to it. Paul is giving instructions to Timothy. Timothy is one of his, one of his uh, protégés, and Timothy and Titus and, and others are planting churches. They're establishing churches throughout the world at that time. And Paul is telling Timothy how churches need to be run. And he wants, he, he specifically says he wants men. Again, this is 1 Timothy chapter 2. He wants men to be men. He wants men to step up and give leadership so that women are not put into a position where they have to take charge. You know what I'm talking about. Men don't step up and don't take charge, and women have got to fill that void. And Paul's saying, this is not the way it's supposed to be. And he points in this passage, verses 14 and 15, he points to the time in the Garden of Eden where Eve actually steps up and deals with Satan, while Adam just sits back, picking his teeth, scratching his belly. I don't know. what, what he, why, why isn't he dealing with this? But no, Eve is stepping up and taking responsibility here. Now, here's what we see from the Garden of Eden and on through history. And in my marriage counseling, I always, always counsel couples with this information. I always tell a couple that no woman wants to be a mother to her husband. And all the ladies said, the minute a woman has got to become her husband's mother, that's the day she has lost all romance. And now this guy that's living in the house is one of the kids. And there, there's nothing more unromantic than having a husband who's not a real man. That's what the Apostle Paul's talking about here in this passage. But there's something more that he's talking about. But before I say that, I want to remind you of this. That throughout the centuries, and we see this over and over again, a man will so often abdicate or step away from his responsibility where a woman will have to step up and try to take charge and try to give leadership, will fill the leadership vacuum. Now, that's all we're saying. Now, don't add anything more to that. Don't say Pastor Allen is against women in leadership and blah, blah, blah. That's baloney. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just talking about men stepping up and being women and allowing women to be women. So this passage, although it's perplexing at first glance, notice that Paul is looking at a woman's role in the fall and the cruelty uh, and, and, and seeming cruelty of rubbing it in. Is he doing that? No, Paul's not rubbing, rubbing it in. You crazy, dumb women. You're the ones that got us into this trouble. And we've got sin in the world because women are just it's women. What can you do? <sighs> women. That's not what he's doing, folks. He's not belittling women. He's not putting women down. He's not describing them as somehow more wicked or more evil than men. That's not it at all. Is he arguing that, that, uh, that women are saved through the act of having children? Of course not. That, that doesn't even make sense. Is he arguing for a peculiar kind of a works-based religion? No. The only way that we can really understand this passage is by going back to the Garden of Eden. So I want to read to you for a few passages of, of Genesis chapter 3. And I'm starting at verse 9. And it says, Then the Lord God called to the man. Now, this was after Adam and Eve had eaten the fruit. Okay, just setting the stage for this passage of Scripture. They've eaten the fruit, and something's happened. 
Remember, God said the day, the moment you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it'll be in that moment that you will surely excellent. So you get the point. So here we go. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And Adam replied, I heard you were walking in the garden, so I hid because I was afraid because I'm naked. And God says, um, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. Now, this was a yes or no answer. <laughs> Right, are you getting this? Adam, did you eat the fruit I told you not to eat? It was the woman. It was the woman you gave me. It's, it's her fault, and God, it's your fault. Don't say amen to that, guys, or you're going to get it. <laughs> and then verse 13, then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? What have you done? And she says, the serpent deceived me. That's why I ate it. Now, this woman answers the question exactly the way she's asked it. Don't you love that? Women really are smarter than men. Guys, you're supposed to say amen to that. <laughs> she just answered the question. Yeah, the serpent you gave me or deceived us, and uh, that's why I ate it. And the Lord said to the serpent, now look at this. Right after she confesses, admits her mistake, her sin, God speaks to the serpent and says, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman. Remember, he's talking to the snake sometimes called the dragon. I will cause hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. Now, what we just read in that verse, it's Genesis 3.15, is what theologians have for hundreds of years, almost 2,000 years, have called this the Proto-Evangelium, the very first gospel message. Genesis 3.15, and I will cause hostility between you, that's Satan, the snake, the dragon, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. With these words, in verse 14, because you have done this, what God is doing is he's shifting Adam's blame away from Eve and putting it where it belongs on Satan himself. Think about that for a moment, folks. God is not accepting that it's all woman's fault. God is saying, collectively, it's humanity's fault that they have sinned and fallen short. God shifts the blame away from Eve and puts it right where it belongs on that serpent, that dragon. Now, I'm going to tell you this, folks. That man that was sitting at the back of our church and yelled out to me, the Apostle Paul hated women. He said that because he didn't get it, didn't understand it. And I want you to know something today, folks. God loves women. 
as much as he loves men. Did you hear that? God loves men and women the same. This notion or this idea that men are better, that women are lower, is absolutely a falsehood. There's no truth to it. We are absolutely equal before Jesus Christ. In God, there is neither male nor female. Hello? That's what we're talking about. So what we see here then is Eve has been captured by Satan and snared to do his will. Meanwhile, there's Adam standing by and watching it all happen. I gotta tell you, when I read that passage in Genesis chapter three, I don't feel angry at Eve, I feel angry at Adam. I think, you moron, what were you doing just standing there with your bare face hanging out? What were you doing? Why didn't you say something? Why didn't you intervene? Why didn't you take leadership? Why do you leave your poor wife to deal with this all alone? So God says, here's what's going to happen. Here's what's going to go down. Satan, you are now at war with women, with womankind, and with her offspring. God told Satan immediately after the fall, it's going to be at war. Eve's seed, that is the fruit of, woman's, of a woman's womb, nourished at her breast, would in the end strike Satan that knockout blow. Folks, that is what Christmas is all about. God speaks words of redemption in Eve's presence. Eve hears with her own ears what God's plan is for humanity before he announces any painful consequences as the result of the fall. And I want you to know today, folks, whatever you've been through, whatever failing, whatever short, whatever, you, whatever you've done wrong, whatever mistakes you've made, maybe you're sitting here today and you feel condemned, you feel shame, you feel guilt. I want you to know today that God right now is not judging you or condemning you. He loves you today. And he understands what this life is all about. He understands what it is to be ensnared by Satan. He knows what it is. And it's with pure love that he comes to us with this message that Satan shall be crushed. Wow. He will strike your head, that is, he will strike Jesus. But the offspring of the woman will crush the head of Satan. And it's through that little baby. Who would have thought that that little baby Jesus, born on Christmas Day, would grow up to be the dragon slayer? There's a beautiful, beautiful picture. I don't know if you can see, if you can see that very well. It's a picture of a foot on the head of the serpent, the dragon. I'm not exactly sure where this is, but from what I understand, it comes from a, a carving in a church. You'll notice that the, many of the great cathedrals throughout Europe, this was, this was in the days when people couldn't read, and they needed pictures and, and carvings and drawings to help them understand. And here we see this picture worth a thousand words. We see the foot 
of Christ, or this foot of the offspring of Mary, the offspring of Eve, crushing the head of Satan. Folks, the armies of heaven erupt into song, sharing the good news with the shepherds that the dragon slayer has been born and that the dragon who has wreaked such havoc, such pain and such terror, such horror on this world, his days are now numbered and Jesus Christ is about to take charge. Oh, wow. That's what Christmas is about. I don't know about you, but I got chills going up and down my spine even as I'm saying that. Jesus, the dragon slayer, is about to crush the head of Satan. Now let's take a look at that verse one more time from 1 Timothy 1.15. But the woman will be saved. And look at this. You'll notice that I've changed the word slightly. And, and it goes, but women will be saved by the birth of the child. Now in your Bibles, it may say that women will be saved by childbirth. But if you look at the original language, we understand now that, that a more accurate translation of that scripture, and it'll be in the footnotes of some of your Bibles, that this is a more accurate rendering of that verse. But the women will be saved by the birth of the child. Who's the child? Wow. So the women who were deceived, the men who were also deceived, are saved by the birth of that child. And where sin came into this world through the deception that one woman experienced, now the world is saved through the birth of Jesus through another woman. Remember the picture at the beginning that I showed you? of Mary consoling Eve with her hand on her face. Eve, you screwed up. You messed up. But don't worry. By God's grace, I've got this. Satan entangled you, but now through the birth of the baby Jesus from my womb, I'm going to crush his head. Ha <laughs> ha! Now, understand, the rest of this verse says, assuming that these women continue to live in faith, love, holiness, and modesty. Well, that applies to all of us. We're saved through the birth of the child, but he's not referring to the physical survival of humanity through procreation. He's referring to the birth of the child, literally the childbirth, the birth of Jesus. Women, like all mankind, will be saved or redeemed through the birth of the child. I want you to see this again. The baby Jesus doesn't stay a baby. The baby Jesus grows up. The baby Jesus does battle with that dragon. And you want to know where Satan was experienced his first defeat. He experiences it in the wilderness. Remember the beginning of Jesus' ministry? The Bible says that the Holy Spirit leads Jesus out into the wilderness to be tempted, and some of us have scratched our head and think, what? Why would God do that? 
Surely God's not in favor of humans being tempted and being tormented by Satan. But you see, here's what most of us don't understand, is that Satan doesn't know it yet, but Jesus is going into the wilderness to beat him, to pound him, to destroy him. And Satan comes along and tries to tempt Jesus exactly the same way that he tempts Adam and Eve in the garden. Satan tempts Adam and Eve in a garden, and then we fast forward thousands of years, and now Jesus is being tempted, not in a garden, but in a desert. Think about this, folks. Very symbolic, very important that you see this. Adam and Eve, before the fall, are in the luscious garden, rich and full and flourishing and full of life. And Jesus in the desert, in the wilderness where there's death, A metaphor for what life is in a fallen world. Jesus puts on his boxing gloves. And Satan tries to tempt Jesus. Not once, not twice, but three times. And Jesus answers Satan every single time. No. It is written. It is written. It is written. I'm not giving in to you, Satan. You can say whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. Throw your temptations at me, but I'm not giving in. I'm here to do the will of my Father. And by the way, folks, that is what it means to be a Christian. It's that you do the will of the Father every time. When Jesus left that wilderness of temptation, I'm going to tell you, folks, Satan was quaking in his boots. He was terrified. For the first time in the history of humanity, a human being stood up to, Jesus, stood up to Satan and said, no. Satan had his way with every single human from the beginning of time up until that moment in the wilderness. And Jesus said, I'm not being tempted. I'm not giving in. I'm not giving in. Satan knew right then and there that his days were numbered. And it was, here's what a lot of people don't know. Jesus took authority from Satan in the wilderness. Satan had authority over this world, but Jesus moved in and he took it right back. And Jesus said, that's just the beginning, Satan. You, you have no idea what you've got coming. And Satan's thinking, what am I going to do? i gotta, I got to destroy this guy. So what does he do? He moves amongst the religious leaders, and he thinks, we got to kill this guy. we got to kill Jesus. And you know the story, don't you? He moves, on, first of all, in Judas's heart. Judas thinks, well, I'm going to betray Jesus. I'm going to get a lot of money out of this. Satan stirs up the hearts of the Religious leaders, the Pharisees, and they finally come up with a plan where they're going to kill Jesus, and Satan's going, (laughs) we got him, we're going to destroy this. Oh, I love the irony in this. Oh, I love this. The very thing that Satan thinks is going to destroy Jesus crucify him, we'll nail him to a cross, we'll put him to death. The very thing that that Satan's trying to do to Jesus, very ironically, is the very thing that causes Satan's final destruction. Isn't that cool? 
Satan thinks I'm going to destroy Satan. I'm going to, Jesus, Satan thinks I'm going to destroy Jesus, and Jesus says, bring it on, Satan. <laughs> this is why the Bible says, for the joy that was set before him, Jesus went to the cross. Jesus knew what was coming. Oh, it wasn't easy, but Jesus knew when he went to that cross that he would once and for all conquer death. Jesus took back his spiritual authority in the wilderness, and at the cross, he conquered death. And that everybody who puts their faith in Jesus can be set free from their sin. Everyone who puts their faith in Jesus will be assured of a resurrection, an eternal life with Jesus Christ. Folks, that's what Christmas is about. This dragon slayer destroying that one who robbed us of spiritual life and physical life. But that's not all. Don't you love those commercials? But wait, there's more. Look what it says here. Revelation 22. He, oh, read it with me. He sees the dragon, that old serpent, who is the devil, Satan, and bound him in chains for a thousand years. But there's more. Then the devil, who had deceived them, was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet. There they will be tormented day and night, forever and ever. Hallelujah. Would anybody say that he deserved that? Stop and think for a moment, folks, the kind of suffering that you've experienced in this life, the torment, the pain, the separations, the breakdowns, the relational breakdowns, all of this pain and suffering birthed in the heart of Satan himself. And God says, through my son, Jesus Christ, it's all coming to an end. And the Bible says that when we get to heaven, there'll be no more sorrow, no more tears. You and I will be resurrected, given brand new bodies. Someone say hallelujah, <laughs> especially after Christmas. <laughs> hallelujah. <laughs> no more arthritis, everybody over 50. <laughs> Yeah, no more temptation, no more struggle. The dragon slayer will have done his job and Satan will not be able to molest or harm or touch you. That's what Christmas is about. And so we have that beautiful picture again. There's Mary consoling Eve. Gonna be okay, Eve. Gonna be okay. The offspring from my womb, the Lord Jesus Christ, is gonna destroy that very snake that tried to destroy you. That's the gospel message. That's what Christmas is all about. There's a picture I've been showing you for the last few weeks. I'm gonna show it to you one more time. That's my, those are my little friends in Burundi. Chris took that when he was there doing the children's camp. 
When I think of, of the reality of Satan being destroyed once and for all, I think of my own pain and my own suffering, but then I think of those in Burundi, a country wracked with poverty, a country that has experienced horrible pain and suffering. They experienced a, a genocide. We hear about the genocide in Rwanda, but most people don't know that it also happened in Burundi. These people who have suffered and suffered. And some of you know that just recently, they went through uh, 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 an election and that many people's lives were put at risk. Many people died in the process. People fled the country thinking that maybe there would be another outbreak of war. This country has seen such pain and suffering. And then I think to myself, the dragon slayer can do so much for these people. The dragon slayer, Jesus Christ, can save a nation. The dragon slayer can use you and me to fight with him. We talk about the armies of heaven. Do you know that there's an army here on earth? Remember we talk about God's will done on earth as it is in heaven? In heaven you have the heavenly armies, the heavenly host. On earth we have the earthly host, and that's you and me. The church of Jesus Christ, triumphant. Did you hear that? Triumphant. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail, will not overcome the church. Why? Because we are going in the power of the dragon slayer, bringing hope and life and healing and provision and guidance to a very broken and hurting world. This is what Christmas is all about. And I got good news for you folks. I read the end of this book, and we win. Hallelujah. We win. That old serpent, the devil, has caused more grief and suffering and pain and sorrow. But the dragon slayer is here. And the good news is that he's working even now to bring life and hope and healing to your family, your marriage, your body, even your mind. Jesus Christ is victorious. And he's our Lord. He's our Savior. He's our dragon slayer. Would you stand with me, please? God, it's so good to be in the house of the Lord, especially on this day, to celebrate the life, the hope that's ours. We think of what Satan has done in our lives and on this earth, in our community, in our city, in our nation, and we recognize, oh God, that our hope is in Jesus Christ that through Jesus Christ, we, we have a way through. And we thank you for the promises in your word, the reminder that through Christ, we are more than conquerors. Through Christ, we have victory. Through Christ, we have a hope that gets us through this crazy, crazy world, this crazy life. And so, Lord, we want to 
We want to worship you right now. We want to adore you. Yes, you came as a baby, but in that baby was the dragon slayer. So we worship you now. Oh, come, let us adore him. Let's sing it together.